When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94. Cricket every day. I'm Daniel Norcross, uh, BBC Test Match special commentator, writer, Wisdom Cricket monthly sort of chat, bit of TV, Zero Ducks Given podcast, if you're interested. And with me, I am delighted to say, we have the whiff waff, the big man, the puff pastry hangman himself, the Chief Cricket Writer of the Press Association, Rory Dollard. Um, we are England Cricket on 99.94, and it's your new home of England Cricket content. We'll be dropping into your podcast feed or on YouTube or the 99.94 app three times. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, three times every week. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Rory, have you been? I have been absolutely fine. Thank you, uh, Daniel. I have... I think I think I must say to you at this point that uh, for the first time, I have appeared on a cricket team sheet as the puff pastry hangman. Hey. You have you have ended me. You have ended the 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 the, the solitary bit of credibility and, and self respect that I had remaining in my life has gone. <laughs> uh, and MC Cricket Club have and, and their team manager, an avid listener of the podcast, I might add, Chris Stone, uh, like has Chris. has rebranded me on the team sheet but good news in the world of MC Cricket Club both of their teams first and second have won their league in the Nidderdale League wow we're, we're big noise in the Nidderdale area and and you, and you play in that team Rory I sometimes they, they managed it despite me yeah they managed wow. it despite me so it's a good honour well that is what that's one of the great achievements in, in England cricket. And today, we're going to be looking at another pretty decent uh, achievement in English cricket as England's women in the T20s racked up a 2-1 series win with a very young side. We're also going to be looking at the appointment of David Saker as a coach and assistant to the T20 side, the men's T20 side, of course. And uh, we will also be looking ahead to England's T20 series out in Pakistan, which begins on the 20th of September, which is fast approaching. So, Rory... Um, with that glory in mind, with the Nidderdale League in your back pocket, uh, perhaps a slightly greater achievement is that England's women's T20 international side, and I say England women's, I mean, one tries to avoid the term girls, but frankly, the team is so young. This is, I mean, this mm. is a really young side. This is the first time that an England women's representative side has taken to the field, not containing a single player that played in the 2017 World Cup final. And um, I was going to say they did it in some style. They, they won the, the third match in some style. There were hiccups throughout. It was a, If you hadn't watched the series, England won it 2-1. All three matches were very one-sided. England thrashed India in the first one by nine wickets with plenty of balls to spare. India bounced back with a thumping victory in the second match. Uh, some superb batting, as ever, from Spriti mm. Mandana. And then in the third match, um, again, having been put into bat, uh, India floundered. They lost wickets early to Sarah Glenn. Uh, Sophie Eccleston came good towards the back end of the innings. But it's the fact that you look at that bowling side now, Rory, and it's Glenn and Eccleston, are the two top-rated players in women's T20 international with the ball. 
and yet they're bands, frankly. And yet at the same time, <laughs> Sophie Eccleston has taken 82 T20 international wickets. England's leading wicket taker is Catherine Brunt on 108. And she had a 16-year head start. I mean, what is going off out there? You've got the likes of Lauren Bell, Freya Davis in the side. Um, Alice Capsi, we haven't even talked about. We will do. Uh, this This is a new-look England, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think with uh, with missing Heather Knight, Nat Siver, Tammy Bournemouth's been moved along for the time being, Catherine Brunt out of the picture at the moment. It really has been a changing of the guard kind of series. And, and you get the feeling, don't you, that England might have been prepared to, to wear a defeat here. And then that maybe they thought in the interests of, of freshening up this team and, and looking at it, coming up against a pretty strong India side, they might have thought that they might come on the wrong side of this one. But it, as you say, they, they put in two really good performances. The last game, the third match, almost hinted towards being a tight one when when India dragged it back towards the back end. But but Alice Capsey uh, just put it to bed. I mean, I know Sophia Dunkley was the sort of player of the series or the MVP, but the absolute authority with which Alice Capsey finished off that match when it just started to get a bit squeaky and there was, as you say, there was youngsters at the crease. It was, it was people who maybe haven't been in that position too many times. And it was feasible that Bryony Smith and, and Alice Capsey would get themselves in a bit of trouble because India had just got a couple of wickets, series on the line, the whole, whole thing was up for grabs. And Alice Capsey just said, I'll have this, please. This, this one's for me. And she just, she, ah, there's a steal. There's a steal mm. to the way she goes about things, isn't there? That, that makes you think she's one of these players who will soar and will will be a, a huge deal for 15 years. You know, it could be anything, 15, 18, 20 years, who knows? Could, could, be, could be 20. I mean, you know, the, the longevity of women cricketers is increasing, isn't it, as, uh, as it's become an actual professional sport. I mean, you think back only 10 years ago, the likes of Holly Colvin burst onto the scene when she was 16, 17, and she was done by the time she was like 23, 24, because... She wanted to get a job and she wanted to earn money. She was highly intelligent and had six A's at A level and cricket wasn't going to provide her with a living, you know. Um, and she, who knows what record she could have broken if she'd stayed in the England side. But instead she went off, she worked in administration at the ICC. Now, players have got serious rewards. You know, Alice Capsey is going to be a top banded 100 player. She's, going to, she's playing she's in She's got a big bash contract. She did, but Melbourne Stars, I believe. Um, so she's going to be playing franchise cricket in between having, you imagine, a full-time England contract. That is a, that's a pretty nice earner. And, and it should be, quite frankly, because mm. she is a superstar. And you mentioned the way she went about that innings. Three wickets go down quickly, and it's, and it's big wickets as well, because it's, it's the established players. You know, Dunkley's been around a little while now. Danny Wyatt and Amy Jones, the two senior members of that side, aside from Sophie Eccleston, who's, who's young but has played plenty. And below him, below Bryony Smith and Alice Capsey, was Maya Boucher coming in at six, who's not had mm. a, a particularly great, uh, a particularly great time of it. So there was a lot of pressure on them when three wickets went down quickly, three for eight in no time, still needing a runner ball. And what fascinated me was that Capsey did not say, "Oh, right, well, we'd better have a look for the next couple of overs. Let's go at three, four, and over. Take the odd single. Yeah. Make sure we're there. Establish ourselves." She looked for the reverse. She looked for the paddle. She looked for where fielders were not. And that kind of game awareness is amazing. And I think in part is to do with the volume of cricket she's played 
coming in to the England mm. side. And you may think that that's a ludicrous assertion to make, given that she's only 18. But actually, there's a whole lot more club cricket being played. Um, there's a whole lot more opportunities. She's hit a whole lot more balls. She scored mm. a half century at Lords, uh, you know, in front of a big crowd. So uh, whatever people think about the 100 and whatnot, Striking at one four eight in this series, by the way, that is not it's amazing. That's not small it? potatoes, that. No, and you know what they haven't done yet is utilise her bowling quite as well as they might have done. Um, but I want to have a little look at the bowling because the other side of the equation is younger players getting a chance. Now, Freya Davis has been around England set up for a while. Izzy Wong has just started to come in. Lauren Bell played her first T Twenty international and, and looked like she could be the part. And this is an area that England have been reliant on Brunt, Shrubsole, Siver and Kate Cross for, what, over a decade, mm. I would say. Over a decade. And I'm not saying you're seeing the changing of the guard. I think Brunt will still be around. Um, Cross will be playing in the T20 internationals. But Shrubsole's gone. Siver will be around. It it shows there's a depth in the seam bowling as well. It does, yeah. You can... They only had one place for Lauren Bell and Izzy Wong between them in this series. They had to sort of scrap over that one spot. It would be... They, they both are very, very interesting in their own right. And and you can imagine a, a point where they're lining up together and and sort of taking forward the, the new ball. And they're, they're quite interesting players. Izzy Wong feels like she's been on the cusp for a long time, doesn't mm. she? Like, there's been a lot of excitement about her that hasn't translated into a whole, whole, whole hell of a load of caps right now but you would think that's coming. The, the really reliable spinners through the middle, as you say. And I think I think they would have rather liked Freya Kemp to have a good series with the ball. And actually she had a bit of a party with the bat, didn't she? She, she became the youngest, mm. youngest T20 half centurion for the women's team. Second only to Sarah Taylor in, in all internationals, I think for England. And she looks like another really exciting prospect there. They probably could do with her kicking on again with the ball. I think, I think that's an area, but yeah, they, I think what they have known for sure now, having seen off a pretty strong India batting lineup, certainly is they've got depth in the bowling attack and they've got, if they are missing people, it's not as though they're scrambling around. They've got really solid options underneath who will end up being the first choice. Yes. I mean, I think the issue with Freya Kemp is you can see her effectiveness with the bat. She's a big hitting player. Uh, with the ball, she gives that left arm option. And they really would love a left arm seamer. Um, Tash Farrant came to the four mm. in the 100 last year and has been around the England setup for a long time. But uh, in has the been stress injured. fracture club, isn't she? She is in the stress fracture. I mean, it's great to see the women getting on board with the with the men. Normally, the women lead the way in cricket <laughs> and creating World Cups and whatnot. But uh, this time, they're sort of lagging slightly behind the men on the stress fracture front. But good to see there's one there. Uh, but they, they really need that left arm option to come good. Now, she's young, she's very young, 17. So um, there's a chance, there's an there's a expectation, really, that that's going to come good. She's generally a sort of purveyor of back-of-the-hand slower balls, which means that she becomes slightly predictable unless she can mm. have the change-up that goes a little bit quicker. But that gives a variety of angle, It gives a, and it gives depth to the batting. And, and one of the issues with women's cricket for many years has always been the depth in the batting. If you get four or five wickets down, what's left? Now, I thought what looking at India's performance, actually, that was quite instructive because in days gone by, and I think back to the 2017 World Cup, that was the issue. I mean, once they were five down, there was nobody hitting it off the square. Uh, now teams around the world have got much stronger tails. I mean, 
Pooja Vostrika was left to right near the end of that innings. Dipti Sharma went up to try and settle the nerves when uh, India were 35 for five. So you're starting to see that you need to have bowling all the way through an innings. And you're also seeing, I think, although the scores may not have reflected it too much here because the sides batting first on each occasion performed subpar, but you're seeing that, and maybe they they were subpar because they now know that a par total is actually 145, 150 when chasing because of that depth in the batting. And that's happening throughout the world of women's cricket, obviously, obviously with Australia. It's happening with India. It has been around with South Africa for a while. They have greater depth with Chloe Tryon down at 6-7. So you're starting to see the game really... I mean, you're seeing big boundaries being hit. You're seeing big scores being made. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and three three ODIs to come to, to see a bit more of uh, where we're going with this. Well, well, what do you think will happen with that? I'm, I'm assuming that there's going to be a kind of return of the old guard to a degree, wondering if Nat Siver will be back. Uh, Heather Knight won't be, I don't believe, because of injury. But you'd expect Tammy Beaumont and Kate Cross to come back in the side. So it's almost like the ODI side is kind of the 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 grown-up team. <laughs> the mm. T20 side is the one that's going to centre parks and discovering that it's been closed down on Monday. <laughs> that's right. I think as well we could we can make some fair assessment that Amy Jones has probably done with the captaincy. She doesn't she doesn't seem to have uh, treated it as all her Christmases at once, does she? No. And and you know, it is it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because the captain of England was for the best part of fifteen years Charlotte Edwards, and then it was for the best part of ever since Heather Knight. Mm. Uh, I mean, we've noticed actually you know, Nat Siver hasn't particularly taken to captaincy <laughs> either. So I yeah. think there's uh, that, that that is possibly an issue that will be interesting to see how that plays out over time because the the, the captain has become quite a figurehead in uh, in England women's cricket. Now that we are going to move on from England's women, you are listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India. England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka are covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcasts. We speak the language of cricket. Now, Rory, there have been some appointments to the men's T20 side. Tell us all about them. Yeah, David Saker is back. England's fast bowling coach from 2010 to 2015. So he was the uh, he was there for a lot of big moments under Andy Flower, world number ones, winning down under, uh, very well liked, well regarded uh, Australian fella. Um, he's back temporary. He's w- with them in Pakistan right now, and he will be there through the World Cup. And you'd think, as a guy who has been a head coach in the Big Bash, played all his cricket in Australia, he'll be a handy sort of font of knowledge for that fast bowling group out there. I mean, they've played plenty of cricket in Australia. They know what they're doing. But having a fella who has designed and made plans for 2020 cricket down under is absolutely no bad thing. And uh, Michael Hussey, Mr. Cricket. Mm. He's now Mr. English Cricket. He's uh, he's crossed the divide. Um, and which now means England have a majority, uh, a voting majority of Australians on their coaching Ow. staff in the 2020. So you've got Matthew Mott as head coach, David Saker, Michael Hussey, and then we've got Richard Dawson, and Carl Hopkinson, who are holding the fort. So we have, as I know, 
very well credentialed people, people who understand Australia, the conditions, the methods, the rhythms out there, but yet still very Australian. And uh, God, can't imagine doing the other way around. Can you? You can't imagine Australia going into a World Cup with, I know they've had Hick and uh, whatever, but I can't imagine them having a, an English head coach followed by two deputies. Um, so we've- I was going to say exactly that. I mean, it is, it, it's quite remarkable in a way, but also not unusual. You know, English cricket's finest hour of the last 50 years, probably, was the 2005 Ashes, masterminded by Andy Flowers in Barb Wayan. That's wrong. Ooh, Duncan Fletcher. Cut that. It was a letter. <laughs> Duncan Fletcher, the Zimbabwean. Don't cut that. Leave him. Leave him. Leave him hanging. Basically, all Zimbabweans. All Zimbabweans <laughs> merge into one in my brain. Duncan Crash, Fletcher. Crash generalizations. I know. Dreadful. I mean, Grant, Grant <laughs> yes, Flower Duncan is so Fletcher, different from Andy, Andy Flower. Also good. Yeah. Trevor Bayliss, good. Trevor Bayliss, yeah. good. But Troy Cooley, I was going to say. Troy Cooley as, as bowling coach. And. It's something that sort of it seems to appeal to English setup is that you know especially Australians getting Australians in. I mean Zimbabweans provide the grit that the English think that they don't have for some reason because we're always very self-critical. Um, and then the bowling nows, the Australian bowling nows of as it was Troy Cooley as he's now uh, David Saker. But it's particularly perfect, isn't it? Coming up to a, a World Cup in Australia. Are there, are there any downsides to this? Is it possible that they're fifth columnists, that um, <laughs> you know, Cricket, Cricket Australia is sort of like paying them on the side to get them to, get them to undermine England's efforts? Well, I don't get the feeling that uh, Saker was overwhelmingly delighted with the end of his time with Cricket Australia because he, obviously he was Australia bowling coach not too long ago, 2019. Uh, and if you put the timeline together, there's a few interesting things happened around that time and not sure Seika was awfully pleased with the way he went. So listen, they're both super professional guys, loads and loads of knowledge and skills, uh, but they are temporary. I think what it does potentially tell us is that we're starting to see the, the shake, the shakeup of this coaching setup, which is that Paul Collingwood is going to stay with Brendan McCullum's side, Marcus Truscothic likewise probably Jeet and Patel also, because they are going to start going down two roads with this and not not cross-pollinating an awful amount with the, with the coaches. So it looks like, I think the assumption early on would be that Paul Collingwood would have gone to the white ball side because of his success as a limited overs captain with England and a T20 captain particularly. It, it doesn't look like that. It looks like he's found his role with Brendan McCullum. He... Was has been in the past quite keen not to say I'm the white ball guy. I think he quite fancies being the next red mm-hmm. ball coach after Brendan McCullum. I think that's what he's got his eye on, and he wants to get his feet under the table, learn from him, and I think I think that's where he's looking. And he was given the Lions' job when they had a four day match against or a three day match against South Africa. So I think that could be where we're heading, and we could anticipate that there'll be permanent appointments in that limited overs setup, whether Saker or Hussey have the time in their schedules to do that. I don't know, but uh, they look like horses for courses at the minute. But yeah, we can we can make some assumptions about how this coaching setup is going to look. That's the news on the street. Right, we're going to move on. If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. 
We're adding new shows all the time, covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all our announcements by following us on social media on 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Now then, we just mentioned the additions to the coaching staff or changes to coaching staff. Uh, England are out in Pakistan, and this is an historic tour. England haven't been there for 16-plus years. Uh, tell us how it's been going so far. They have arrived, they have landed, and no one has fallen in the pool, which is a good thing. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I was supposed to, I was due to be in Karachi right about now. I was. I had a flight booked. Uh, life has got in the way. Real life does occasionally intervene. So I'm not there. So I'm absorbing this stuff like the rest of you from a distance. Uh, but it's it's gone pretty well so far because England, as you say, haven't been since 2005 which is a lifetime, really. It's it's basically, it's it's Freya Kemp's lifetime, it's, isn't it's it? Freya, I was going to say, it's Freya life. Kemp's lifetime, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they were due to go last year. They didn't. They pulled out for what I think it's now accepted is fairly sketchy, thin reasons. New Zealand had a, a security wobble and they left and England then left there, abandoned there too shortly afterwards for what Pakistan thought were pretty pretty unimpressive reasons. Ramiz Raja, uh, president over there, gave a very, very spiky press conference about cricket being West v. Rest and, you know, poor relations and been treated badly after helping out ECB in COVID. So there was a lot riding on this. They've, they've gone out there. Josh Butler is not playing. We've said We've said already that he's going out there effectively as a, off-field leader, you know, like he, he's going to be captain of the of the group, but not of the team because he's not going to be playing very much. Uh, but he gave his press conference and he did a really good job, actually. And it's not always Josh Butler's natural environment, the, the speaking and pontificating. He's more of a captain between the 22 yards, isn't he? But mm. he spoke very, very well about how delighted they were to be there, how the players who've been in the PSL have all, always had great experiences and had shared them. I think it's about 10 players who've been in the PSL, so it's not a foreign idea to be out there for a lot of them. And he used his first press conference to to tell the people, the assembled press, that England had made a five-figure donation to the Disaster Emergency Fund that is uh, responding to the, the flood crisis in Pakistan. He got a round of applause in the room. So on a you know soft skills level, England have made a nice start. Uh, and and nobody followed Alex Carey into the Karachi Morven pick pool, as far as we know. It's it's look, it's, they've got to be pretty diplomatic, haven't they? Because it was fairly scandalous. Um, I mean, I know my colleague Atif Nawaz on Test Match Special was absolutely furious, and I can totally understand because you think back to that COVID summer of 2020, and it was the West Indies and Pakistan that came over to save. The ECB's coffers, you know, to get those six test matches on. I mean, it, it would have been catastrophic for English cricket if they hadn't been able to fulfil those contracts. Aside from the fact that fans want to watch cricket as well, especially at a time of, of, of sort of national crisis. So for England then, that to what felt like rather blithely pull out was appalling and it left a really dreadful taste. And it probably did for... The chairman, what more, didn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, one of the yeah, it's, it did stick to him. Yeah, and and Tom Harrison, he had plenty on his CV, good and bad. But that that was another one 
the fact that yes. you're there now and neither of those people in the in the chairman and chair chair and chief exec positions are involved is probably welcomed on in the PCB uh, VIP area. I would I would very much think so. But you know, we need to get down to the the, the brass tacks of the cricket itself uh, before we let everybody go. I've heard tell, and I don't know how true this is, but I was I was on commentary with I can't even remember whom I'm afraid who was telling me that. The pitches in Pakistan, yeah, I think it was Ravi Bapara, that the pitches in Pakistan are going to be uh, flown-in pitches, he'd heard, mm. that would replicate Australian conditions. Because you know, I've been slightly sceptical of the value of a seven-match T20 series in Pakistan as preparation mm. for an Australian World Cup. But, of course, it's not great preparation for Pakistan either. So Precisely, yeah. they, they, need, they need to get uh, preparation for that World Cup. Uh, is, is this what you're hearing, that we're going to get Australian-style pitches? I only heard it because I listened to your commentary with Ravi Papara. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Uh, but but there, has, there has been a little bit of follow-up to that. Yeah, people see, But whether it's true, who knows? I mean, the vagaries of of pitch preparation and, and drop-in pitches, it's so strange. And even if it's the intention to do that, who knows how they play? The pitch reading is a an art that I have not... It's voodoo. It's I mean, voodoo, yeah. And even it appears to, to flummox the people who are in charge of it. So... Yes, I mean, the, the, only, the only piece of advice I can give someone who wants to understand how a pitch is going to do is ask Ian Botham to tell you how it's going to do, and you'll know it does the exact opposite. When I was on a previous programme, we used to get Botham's pitch report and write it up behind us in front of the camera, <laughs> and they would say, right, so it's not going to do that, 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 or that. <laughs> and sure as eggs is eggs, it didn't. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's the nearest thing to, to proper predictive powers that we can ever get. Um, just quickly... Who and what are England most looking out for in this series? What are they? Where are their gaps? What do they need to understand before they go to Australia? Well, I suppose having picked Alex Hales and having ended the the Hales or Murder, which sounds like actually, I think I'd go and see that film. I would. The Hales yeah. or Murder. Uh, they've, they've sort of ended that absence after three and a bit years. They kind of need that to pay off, don't they? So he'll yep. almost surely he'll come straight into the eleven, and having brought him into the eleven, I guess they want him to absolutely fly, and it might it might make life a little bit awkward if because it'll prove all the people right who said you've been shooting yourselves in the foot for however long, but I've had a pretty successful time without him. Now they need him to, to continue that success in all likelihood. So uh, having banked the house on leaving him out. They now really need to. They need the gamble of bringing him back in mm. to start paying off really nicely. The things I suspect they'll be really looking out for more than anything could involve the players who aren't playing very much, because Chris Walks and Mark Wood are there, and I think the overwhelming interest of, of some of those people, like Josh Butler and Matthew Mott, will be keeping an eye on them in the nets and building up their loads and seeing if they're ready for the. World Cup because this is a very historic two, a very important, and it will be great entertainment, I'm sure. But it's prep; it's about the World Cup and getting those people fit and ready. And that's Walks balances the team really well. Wood is the explosive option that they've been missing, and has a recent history in the Ashes of doing great guns in Australia. So yeah, they'll be looking at him. If they were to have one or two of the of the inexperienced guys come through, make a splash, Will Jacks, 
potentially, if he gets in, could make the life difficult in terms of because he's not going to the World Cup. Um, but that aside, they'll be wanting the absolute bankers to get tuned up. Adil Rashid, Moin Ali, captaining. Uh, and they'll be wanting the people who are falling apart to stop falling apart. I tell you who'll be watching very, very closely, to, certainly to Wooden Wokes. It'll be Tim Arl Mills, who is a travelling reserve for the World T20. And I think a travelling reserve that's never been more likely to feature in the first match of a T20 World Cup <laughs> that's ever existed. We shall see. Thanks for listening to England on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app from where you get your apps. And you can follow us personally on Twitter at Norcross Cricket and at the RVD, which is Rory's Twitter and Instagram. That's T-H-E-R-V-D. Of course, Rory was going to be difficult. We'll put links up for everything we do there. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of cricket audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with Breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with Breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with Breslow the business of sports betting podcast